For every daughter of change we learn about in history, there are millions more who we may not be aware of. These are the women and girls who are tirelessly working to create change in their own communities and backyards. Creating change and moving towards a better future for our children is not about the accolades. It's not about becoming famous or winning awards. It is about how we choose to move through the world as individuals. Everything we do in our day-to-day life impacts the greater whole. While the awards and the accolades are well-deserved, and it is important to bear witness to the amazing efforts of our famous Daughters of Change, in my opinion, it's equally as important to tell the stories of the unsung sheroes, the women and girls who are working to make the world a better place as part of their daily lives. This is something that comes naturally to them. I think of them as light bearers. While my guest today is well known for her journalism, she also works quietly behind the scenes in her own community to bring about change. She doesn't do this for the fame or notoriety, but rather because it's baked into the fiber of who she is, a daughter of change. Tori Ryden is a storyteller who has had the good fortune to have carved out a professional life through her love of interviewing and writing. She spent more than 30 years on the front lines of journalism up and down the eastern seaboard, from Maine to Boston to Florida, back to Boston, where she anchored the nightly news at WFXT Boston and WBZ, before completing the loop back to Maine, where she spent eight years anchoring the nightly news at WMTW, and more recently reporting the news at WCSH, both in Portland. Tori created Positively Maine with Tori Ryden, an hour-long weekly radio show spotlighting all that is good in Maine, and in March of 2020 created the online show The Great Reboot, giving businesses and individuals the chance to share their personal pivot to survive the COVID pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, Tori and her husband jumped in to work at their town's food pantry, where they worked at the beginning five days a week, picking up food from supermarkets, cooking and delivering meals and boxes of food to the surrounding community. In May, Tori launched LARC, the Lake Region Kids Garden, an outreach project designed to teach kids from three towns to grow their own food. From building raised garden boxes to creating compost for soil, planting seeds, all the way to harvest. Her current project focuses on the rising addiction crisis in Maine and around the country. She is working with a Maine filmmaker, developing a 10-part series for television and classrooms that is supported by five school districts in southern Maine and the Scarborough Police Department. Tori lives in Naples with her rock star husband, Pat Scully. Together, they have seven adult children and three grandchildren. Welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. I'm Marie Sola, and on this podcast, I'll be bringing you the stories of the women and girls from around the globe who are changing the world, each in their own unique way. Tori, Tori Ryden, welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. 
Oh, Marie, I am just thrilled that you have asked me to be, invited me to be uh, your guest. I have long been a big fan of Daughters of Change, and you and I have known one another for a very long time. And so I I just love what you're doing with this show and, and with this whole movement. Thanks, T. And you are definitely a daughter of change. So this is actually quite apropos that we're having this conversation and probably should have had it a while back, but... You know, you've been really busy. I've been busy, but you've been busy being a daughter of change out there in the world. And before we dive into all of the cool things you're doing in Maine and in your community and in your backyard, I want to go back to a conversation that we had the other day because I think it's it was really kind of poignant. The fact that this path that you're following has been had almost a for the lack of a better term, a serendipitous flow. As soon as you start working on one thing, the next thing just sort of pops up naturally and flows into it. So what's that been like for you? Well, what I'll say about that, Marie, is the serendipity only happens if I give it space to happen. So what I mean by that is if I get all charged up in my own head thinking that, oh, this has to be the next step, or this, maybe I'm reading things incorrectly, and I think, oh, okay, well, this is where I'm supposed to go next. So I have to quiet those voices in my head. Now, that does not mean I didn't try following those voices and only to hit a major roadblock, uh, which is kind of a, a flick in the head to say, wait a second, girl, step back. And let's do this the right way. Let's really allow serendipity to take hold. I also, I also look at things as um, a very wise man told me one time, if you allow your life to unfold and truly allow it, then it's going to be like a river flowing down and you're going to hit no snag, just going to be this beautiful ride. But if you keep going for these these either jobs or things that I think that are lodged in my head um, that I need to be doing. It's like, I need to, I'm supposed to, I should. Then I'm going to keep hitting the roadblocks and it's going to be more like a salmon fighting to get upstream rather than floating downstream. And I will say I have found that to be absolutely accurate. And it's, and it's a really good check for me when I can step back and say, wow, that seems amazingly easy. That came together pretty well. And I can say to myself, okay, good. I, I, think, you're, I think you're listening. I think you're releasing control and allowing this to all unfold. Have you been surprised by some of the thing, things that have happened by taking that time to step back and let things unfold, you know, sort of let go of that control of, I, I need to be doing this next. Have, has that been surprising to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's like, you know, you ask a child, what do you think you want to be when you get older? And they might have fixed in their brain, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a nurse. Um, or, you know, I see myself doing this or that. Well, you know, it's it's an interesting thing, life, um, and and the remarkable people you meet along the way. Um, yeah, I think, I think the most unusual things that have happened, uh, have been when I've had a thought that I've brought to somebody's attention and they've actually listened to me. And then I figured out the way that it's all going to come together. And then I surprise people 
because it actually comes together. And because I'm somebody, I like to see things through. And so if I have kind of an epiphany, I want it to come to fruition because I can see it. I can see the, the down, you know, further down and I can see the potential impact it might have. So, so that's been surprising to me, I think, is, is that there have been several things and, and taking chances and then finding yourself in a situation and then having an aha moment and then following that little path that takes you someplace else. You have another aha moment and it takes you to another place. So I, I've been so incredibly fortunate um, that in my career, again, you mentioned I was in the news business for over 30 years up and down the East Coast. And I think part of that is, you know, you make these great connections with people. And as I've always said uh, in the news business, don't ever burn bridges and always be kind to people because the person who is running your teleprompter may next week be your news director. And that, that really is true. Um, so as I grow, others will grow. And so it's so important to keep just these great relationships um, in a positive place because we all need one another. And there are going to be different times that I'm going to lean on one of these people I've met, or they're going to lean on me. And I mean, it's it's really kind of beautiful how it all works. It, it's so true, Tori. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up because you you never know when you're going to come back around and work with somebody. You may work on projects and think that the projects are over and then things pop back up. And it's about connecting the dots, keeping those positive relationships, and then figuring out how to connect the dots afterwards. And you're also a connector of people. I'm that way as well. And keeping those relationships and, and growing them and having them blossom, you also find ways to connect other people that can then go out and make things happen. So there's there's a snowball effect to that as well. I couldn't agree more with that. And I think that when you come at it from a good place and it's, you know, it's not about oh, what's in it for me. It's not that at all. It's, oh, I just had a conversation with Fred and I think I have something for Ethel. Not to, you know, hone in on the I Love Lucy group, but, you know, <laughs> you, when you can connect those people because, you just remember, and it's, I don't know why our brains act this way, but I love it because, you know, it's, it's the curse that I say uh, of women, and I know you're guilty of it, and I am too, and I don't know if it's guilt or if it's a gift. You can, you can hear 10 conversations at one time. I mean, I'll be at a, like a dinner party, and at the end of the night, I'll, I'll go back with my husband, and I'll say, hey, you know, and we'll kind of compare notes, and he will be flabbergasted by what I heard or learned because I, I don't know what it is. It's, I can hear it. I can just listen. And, and that he, he will say, well, it means you're not completely and wholly listening to that one person. I, you know, I don't know if that's it. Maybe guilty of that. But it's, it's kind of interesting that you can keep that on your dial, what, what people need and then bring those people together. I love that feeling. It's it's so cool. It's almost like matchmaking. Yeah, it, totally. And and that that's why you were such a great journalist or are such a great journalist because you're able to listen and connect with people and to to pick up on things that others might not, you know? And so there's no there's no doubt in my mind why you had 30 uh successful years you know, in the news business. 
And T, what I'd like to do now is turn to some of the things that you've been doing recently um, on your own since you uh, left the news business. And I'm going to, I really want to dig into um, what you're doing with the Kids Garden and your new project on uh, the addiction crisis. But before we get there, I want to touch on sort of the things that you started with, the, those that path that sort of led you to where you are now. So let's talk, first of all, about Positively Maine. Tell us a little bit about Positively Maine and how you started it, why you started it. Well, that was one of those things uh, that I was kind of, in, you know, inferring um, earlier, uh, you know, kind of hinting at. Positively Mean um, was a radio show that I did for three and a half years, and I was just so fortunate. It was a situation in which I approached a, um, for lack of anything else, he was a news director, but so many other things at the Portland Radio Group. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, my first love was radio. I absolutely love the power of audio and what it does. And, and, you know, when I started out as a radio reporter first, I always thought I had myself kind of in a lofty position in my own mind thinking, well, it takes a lot more to describe things in an, in an oral kind of way rather than to show through visual and audio that TV reporters have kind of the luxury of doing. Plus, they had an earlier deadline than I. And so it all kind of, it kind of sprung from that that I thought hey, there's so much more descriptive language that is required in radio. You use your voice. People love your voice or they don't like your voice, but they're engaged um, by, by what you're talking about, uh, and, and they form this trust. And I think that that is at the heart of all news, is that it's so critical that people trust you. And, you know, they, they trust you. They want you there with them if it's radio or TV at a certain time, you know, of day or night, and they invite you in. And so when I had this opportunity um, to go in and talk to the news director who said, oh, geez, I don't know if you want to be doing, you know, news here. It's probably not enough money. And he kind of went down this whole kind of rabbit hole of, of trying to um, convince me not to do it. And, and I said, well, why don't you give me my own show? And he kind of ignored that. And the second time I met up with him, I said it again. I said, well, why don't you give me my own show? And it was the third time when I turned to him and said, so when's my show going to start? And he said, well, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, I've, I've now said it three times. I am serious. And he um, he broached it with the general manager who said, well, I, I might be interested. And so I came up with a couple of different um, storylines. And one was pertaining to women, and it was along the lines of something that Marie and I worked on together, uh, which was a project called Real Lives, Real Women. And it really focused on um, issues that are uh, germane to women and then taking them through kind of a resolution. And it was a you're not alone type of show, which I think, Marie, you and I might do again. We're going to try that. We're going to see it to completion. But uh, that was one. 
And then the other one um, was, I thought, well, you know, um, I was so sick and tired of it. It was the time when we, when um, Governor Paula Page was in office and Maine seemed to be kind of at the brunt of all these jokes on late night television. And I got so ticked off of people all thought that we were a bunch of bumbling rednecks with no dental care. And I thought, you know, I think that the the world needs to know that there's a whole lot of good going on in Maine. And so my Pollyanna side came out and I created Positively Maine. And it really was something that gave me an opportunity to showcase, shine a light on people who were doing things that were had a direct impact on improving lives. Um organizations, individuals, businesses, I mean, it kind of ran the gambit. And I had musicians on, I had uh, artists on, people who might not otherwise have a voice. And it ended up, in my opinion, it was very popular <laughs> only because of, you know, the people I would run into. I'd be at the Lowe's and somebody heard my voice and they'd say, wait a second, are you the woman who does Positively Name? I listen to that every Sunday morning before I come into work. Thank you for that. And so I felt like it was, I was very fortunate to be able to bring something good to people at a time that they desperately needed it. And such such a great focus to focus on positivity because we don't unfortunately hear a lot of that anymore. You know, the... The doom and gloom seems to be what makes the headlines. So kudos to you for that. And it was a great show. And then from there, we end up in COVID. And that did not deter you. You came up with yet another show called The Great Reboot. Tell us about The Great Reboot. Well, The Great Reboot um, was a collaboration I did with... um, Portland filmmaker Reggie Groff, and the two of us uh, kind of came up with this idea of, okay, here we are, COVID, suddenly all of these companies, these businesses, people are entering this period of, oh my Lord, what is going on? What are we going to do? And we thought, well, let's let's see what we can do and, and get guests on and talk to them. We did all of the interviews. Initially, we did them in person until covid really took over. And then we did everything by Zoom. And so this one, we uh, we opened right up to the entire world. And so we, I, I reached out and, and, you know, Reggie brought people to the, to the table as well. And we spoke with people about what have you done to shift? What's been your pivot? We're hearing a lot about pivot now and shifting and all that. But, you know, at the very beginning, we were like, okay, so what's your focus? How are you going to shift into this? What's the plan? And so, you know, we we really, it, it was so enjoyable to do that show because, you know, yes, we looked at some of the the negative pieces, but also, you know, looked ahead to, with, with hope to a positive outcome. And, you know, we, we, we touched on so many different topics, talked to people. I've got a friend in Ghana in Africa and, and he was on and, and his name is Ace and he's a tur- an attorney there, but he's also a musician. And he brought a whole group of people together and they created some beautiful music that became a big hit in Africa. Um, spoke with a woman in 
um, Ireland, and she talked about in nutrition and the importance of nutrition and getting fresh air. I mean, it was really nice to get advice from people around the globe because it's the human condition. We are all dealing with the same thing. I mean, that's the one thing about COVID. Has it not brought us all, I mean, regardless of all of the morass that's happened in the last couple of weeks and months, hasn't this one disease, this one virus really brought us all together? It's been the great equalizer on so many levels. Yeah, exactly. And and people have had to rethink their priorities, what's important. And I am, call me Pollyanna, but I I tend to try to look at the good things that will come out of this. There's there's been some really bad things as well. But, you know, where are we all going to be on the other side of this? And but that was not enough for you, T. You you weren't busy enough doing that. <laughs> so but, you, you know, my mother my mother always grilled into my head, Marie, that idle hands are the devil's workshop. And so I've been terrified of having any time on my hands. So I guess that's part of it. But I, I also, you know, I, I think that I, since I was a kid, I, I've been doing volunteer work and just have, and I, and I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I'm just saying that, that it's been a calling to me that I, I see things that I can help with. Um, on a, on that level. Um, and so I, um, my husband actually started, uh, he had retired at the end of, uh, December. Um, happy, happy retirement, uh, you know, COVID. Um, and so he really wanted to do something. We live, uh, in the Lakes region in Maine, which is, um, a real, uh, an area of great dichotomy. Um, in the summer, it's the haves, and in the uh, shoulder months, and the waning months, you really see how much of this area is the have-nots. And so um, Pat started to volunteer at the local food pantry, and he would go and he'd pick up deliveries and donations from Hannaford's, Shaw's, uh, Wayside in Portland, Good Shepherd. And so he uh, found himself volunteering uh, through a group that's called Crosswalk. And um, so they run a, a food pantry uh, in our town. And then they also, um, I came to find out, they also were, were starting up a lunch program. Uh, and it's not a lunch program for kids. There was already a program in place for that, but it was really for families. And suddenly with COVID, you have so many people who are no longer working. They're not getting a paycheck. If This is already a pretty broken area and so many people in need. Suddenly they're thrust into this. And how am I going to, how am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to pay the light bills? How am I going to keep warm. You know, it was the time that we were going into spring, so fortunately they didn't really have to worry so much about the heat. Um, but still the hunger was there. And so I jumped in on the other side and I decided, well, I know how to cook. I've got, you know, I raised four kids myself, so of course I know how to cook. And I decided to start cooking and delivering meals to families in this area and really got to know these people. You know, initially, they're very um, timid and and a little bit ashamed and, and 
kind of looking at you like, well, what's in it for you? Um, but we started um, fixing meals just about every day. And people would come to the door, knock. We'd hand them paper bags filled with maybe a lunch. And then we started doing two meals per person and then three meals per person so that they could, you know, they could space out. And at least they'd have meals, um, you know, throughout the week uh, that way. And so, you know, it was really interesting for me, Marie, to be able to, you know, put a mask on, have a hat on. You know, it wasn't me, the reporter, it wasn't me, the journalist, and all of that. It was just me out in the community and meeting these people and knocking on their door. And they were happy to see us. They were happy to see me. And it was really kind of lovely to have um, this trust. And, and I guess that's kind of the underlying theme is trust. Trust as a journalist, trust as a volunteer. If you don't have trust, then you cannot get into anybody's world. People will not share with you. People will not accept gifts from you. And so right now we're at a point um, with this. It's called it's called Kyrie's Kitchen, Kyrie's Kitchen, like Kyrie Eleison. And uh, we now, we, we scaled back to, to cooking two days a week, and then it was every Thursday, and it was delivering. And now um, we're not doing the deliveries because the needs have um, kind of gone down, and I think we're going to revisit that. But yesterday, I delivered uh, food boxes. So I'll go and I'll I'll to about seven different families. So I'll just load up my car, and I'll go to their houses and it's a good idea for me to be able to do this so I can check in on them. There are several people who live alone. Um, people are in pretty, pretty tough, tough situations. Um, but it's nice. It's nice for me too to be able to see where they are, make sure they're okay. And this is, uh, I think, a great. Uh, there's a great example here coming up of how your work in the food pantry then led you to another project we're going to talk about. But before we talk about Lark or the Lake Region's Kids Garden, what I'd like to just have you explain is what was it that you saw while you were involved with the food pantry and delivering meals that then made the light bulb go off or gave you that aha moment about starting Lark? Well, you know, I think any time that you are you know, making food for families and, you know, you feel like it's, it's, you're coming in at a really um, tender moment in people's lives. And, you know, they're, they're really weighing the options and especially as things were, you know, ramping up with COVID and, and, you know, there was, there was this, um, you know, there, there were several families that had children and I would, bring the meals to them. And, and as, as the trust grew, the kids were allowed to come out and say hi to me. And so I would get their names and, you know, I love kids. And so I try to find out a little bit about them, you know, and not in an interrogative way, but just, you know, just to see what they liked and, and what they're all about. And I felt that, you know, my heart just really was, uh, broken a little bit over some of these kids. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's happening to them? Not only has COVID, you know, forced them to do online education in not the greatest of situations, um, but 
you know, they have no outside stimulation. It's already pretty dire where they are. And gee, I'm, we're making these meals for them. Maybe there's a way that we can turn this around. And maybe we should be teaching the kids so that they can teach up to their parents. And so it's a different paradigm, really, than what we've, you know, we've always, we've always been taught, well, it's going to be the, the adults who teach the kids. But in this case, I thought, wow, imagine if there were a situation in which, um, I know, I know with my kids, I always had a garden. And that was a huge thing. And my kids loved, you know, working in the garden. And as a result, all four of them have worked on farms and have, they have their own gardens now and they, they grow vegetables and they grow fruit. And they, and so for me, that was a huge gift for them to learn kind of how to be self-sufficient that way. Now, I mean, they're not, they're not growing all of their vegetables and fruits, but to learn how to compost, to learn how to plant seeds and to take care of them and to grow them, um, you know, all my kids are into that now. And so I thought, well, why can't these kids be into it? Maybe there's a way that we can teach them, and this would be a great way that they could learn self-sufficiency, and it would get them out of the house. It would get them engaged. So having had no community organization experience, I decided, well, why can't I do this? <laughs> Who needs the experience? I'll go ahead. And, you know, I think that, I think that being a reporter and you know, an anchor, I, I was so used to calling anybody and interviewing anybody. I mean, I've interviewed the president, interviewed, you know, entertainers. I've been, I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not shy about calling people and asking for things, you know, particularly if it's not for me. If it's for somebody else, boy, I can ask away. And so I got in touch with the local um, town manager and I just, I, I said, hey, you know, let's meet. I bounced it off him. He was so excited about it. He took the cause to the town uh, select, selectman's meeting, and I said to him, "Well, look, here's what we need. We need a we need a good, viable uh, piece of land, and we need to <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna need that to be in a spot where kids can get to easily, and um, I need to have a spot with a lot of sunlight and with access to good, fresh running water." So the demands were there. I figured, why not just throw them all forward? So he came through for me, um, and he was, you know, magnificent about it. His name is John Hawley, and he just became kind of my champion on this. And so he said, well, you got the land. The rest is up to you. So I, he gave me a couple of names of people in the community he thought might be interested in helping me out. I reached out to them. Got a lot of naysayers, got a lot of people telling me how it was never going to work, not going to happen. And I just said, well, okay, thanks for that. Uh, yes, it will. So <laughs> I, I decided, all right, what do I need? So I started reaching out to different organizations and, and companies. I reached out to Hancock Lumber. I reached out to um, a company that does soil. I d reached out to another company that, um, or actually a farmer that does composting. I reached out to just a number of different groups, Obishan, and I reached out to all these different places where I could get seeds for free or seedlings or at, at cost and started kind of building a group of people who 
mainly my friends in the area, people I knew, I said, hey, can you come together? It's going to be really important. Do you know how to kind of hammer things together? Do you know how to nail together wood so we can create um, raised boxes? And so it was like a barn raising, and we had probably about 15 people. I went and got a bunch of waters. It was a boiling hot day, and we just started building those boxes, and we built 11 um, you know, about three foot high boxes. And um, from there, started filling them and got, you know, it, I, th- I think that um, got the energy going and got people excited about it um, because everybody wants to be part of something good. They do. They just don't, they don't know what it is. They don't know what the opportunity is unless you give it to them. You share it with them and say, hey, how would you like to be part of this on Saturday? Sure, I'd love to. I'll be there. And I'll bring two friends. So it really was amazing to me how people came together. And, and that was, it was mostly adults, but there were a couple of uh, uh, teenage kids who came and, and were just wonderfully uh, receptive to the idea and, and really worked hard. It was great to see. So I've seen pictures of the gardens, and they were quite lush. I mean, you had a lot of things that you were growing. And I know that you said, um, and I want to talk in a minute about what the kids are doing once once they got there, like what were the things that you were teaching them. But I know that you mentioned that one of the hardest parts of the project initially was getting the word out and getting the kids there. So how did you overcome that? Well, I think, Marie, one of the biggest and most challenging pieces, quite frankly, um, was COVID. Um, because so many kids were, you know, it was so confusing. Were they in school? Were they were they at home learning? And then, you know, did the adults really want them, you know, to, to have kids around? And, and I said, look, we're all masked. We have to have our masks on. And um, so, you know, once again, it's that trust piece. And they didn't know me. You know, they they thought, well, who is this person who's doing this, and and can I can I really trust her? So what I did was, um, it started out I'd have kind of like three or four kids who would come, and I felt like I wanted to have a larger group than that. I thought it was really important. It would be important to have kind of a cluster of kids um, who would be there because, you know, kids don't want to feel awkward that they're being singled out. You know, like, oh, God, okay, I, I don't really feel comfortable doing this. But if there's a group of kids, then they're going to look at it as, wow, this is a great, this is great, and I just met this new person, and so I want to go back next Tuesday, and I want to see my friend because this is going to be fun. We're outside, and we're planting, and we're, and we're doing some really cool things. So I reached out to um, our town. So, so the whole, and I didn't even explain this, but LARC um, stands for Lake Region Kids Garden. Um, now, I will say traditionally and historically, this area where we're living, you know, all the kids go to school together. But again, historically, the towns have been very independent of one another and um, almost in in a standoff way of, no, we, no, 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 that's my, this, that's this town. And so when I'm in the town of Naples, and so one of the first complaints that was lodged to John Hawley was, well, this shouldn't be the Lake Region Kids Garden. This should be the Naples Kids Garden. And my whole feeling was, no, absolutely not. These kids go to school together. So let's find a way that we can bring people together. This is a terrible time. Let's bring people together. Let's not shun. And so 
that was the region, reason why I called it um, Lark. And so I painted up a kind of a, a fun sign um, that uh, we had some trouble getting into the ground, but we finally got it in. And it was great because then people would slow down in their cars and they'd be like, what is that? You know, a sign does a lot for uh, a project because then it becomes kind of more official, even though it was hand-painted. It became kind of an official sign. Um, but I reached out to um, after-school programs, and, uh, and, and then after school was let out, they turned into summer programs. And so the people who are running them couldn't have been uh, greater. I mean, they were so wonderful. They'd say, okay, well, we're going to work this in. How about we come every... Tuesday at 10 a.m. or every Wednesday at 3 p.m. So I had different times for these different groups. And I loved it because I knew I could count on them. I knew I could count on a group of, you know, 15 kids, 20 kids, all with masks on, um, except for one group that had been potting together, P-O-D-D-I-N-G, I guess. And they um, they were able to go without masks um, but I was double masked when they were around and it was so refreshing. They were so excited. You know, many had never, never gardened before, had no idea what it was about. And so I loved it because I was able to um, teach them how to compost. I mean, we, we called it, you know, when, when we were doing it, I said, it's like baking a cake, you guys. Okay. So here's the dirt. And then you're going to add in some dried out eggshells, which I collected and dried out, and then some Epsom salt. And you're going to mix, 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 and stir, stir, stir. So everybody had a, had a chance to stir and to crush the eggshells in and to, and to put the salt in. And it was like baking a cake. You know, that's what I said to them. I said, all right, let's bake the cake. And they were so into it and so um, happy to learn these different things. And they were so quick to understand the properties of that. So I use that as a great educational tool. And, you know, I was learning a lot myself, too. You know, I didn't know the properties of eggshells or Epsom salt. And so I would talk to them about it. And I'd say, do you guys know why we're using this or that? And then we would all do it together. And then we'd put, you know, the... Um, uh, compost in all 11 boxes, and then they'd kind of squish it all together. And then I, the next time they'd come, we would start the planting process, or we'd put in um, uh, string and 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 um, uh, kind of create. Well, I used out of. I got donated. Um, this I love this. A friend of mine is a hockey coach at Connecticut College men's hockey, ice hockey. Jim Ward. And so he donated all of these broken hockey sticks. And so we used hockey sticks to hold up netting so that pole beans could grow up on the netting and, and on, on the sticks. And so it was really cute because it took on this life of its own that you could tell it was a kid's garden. You know, I, I love that the kids are, first of all, that's inclusive. And you brought all of the, the Lake Region community together as opposed to just you know, keeping it to one town, but also that you're teaching these kids how to grow food, right? From the composting to the planting of the seeds, to taking care of the garden, to watering the garden, to harvesting. Now, can you tell us what were some of the things you grew and did you teach the kids what to do with the vegetables and were they able to bring any of that home? How did that all work? 
Yes, yes, and yes. Um, so, um, you know, they, they really were so excited because, um, you know, they'd see, as the weeks went, they would see, of course, the seeds turning into seedlings and then growing, growing. And um, so what we grew, um, we had, I had mentioned um, fruits. We had um, two big strawberry plants. Now, those won't um, become viable until this year. Um, it takes a full uh, year for them to actually mature into producing strawberries, so the actual fruit. So they knew that, um, but they still would go over and check on them because they were so big. They were huge. Um, we grew um, pumpkins. We grew, I'm kind of going in the reverse order, so that would be at, you know, in the fall, like far end of the fall. Um, but we had um, leeks. We had so many different varieties of um, tomatoes. We had cucumbers kind of coming out of our ears. We had a couple of different kinds of squashes. We had eggplant. We had beans, beans, beans. Um, we had, oh, I mean, all different kinds of, we had lettuces, we had cabbage. We had, um, it was really whatever we could get our hands on, we put into the ground. And, you know, some, some were successful, some were duds. But, you know, the kids knew where they had planted the seeds. They'd be like, oh, here's mine, here's mine. And they would, you know, see it as it came up and they'd kind of give it a name. And uh, it was just adorable to see. Now, a big part of this was as soon as things were starting to ripen, um, I would bring bags and I'd have the kids go shopping and I would have them, okay, uh, let's go around and I'd make them. There were kids who didn't like tomatoes. They had never really tried a tomato and I made them. I said, look, just take a bite. If you don't like it, you can spit it out right over there. No problem. And they bit into it and they're like, oh, oh, that is delicious. That is so sweet. And, you know, it's just so, for me, it was so rewarding to get these kids to taste these things that they had never had. Now, on the other side of things, yes, they were taking home. Uh, I had, I allowed them, you know, I would kind of watch over so they didn't take everything so that we would always have a supply for the next group coming in too. But they would take home things that I, I would say, well, do you know how to cook these? Do you know what to do with these? And I, I found that, you know, some of the kids were a they knew a little bit, but they didn't know, you know, all about it. So the next week I would go, I'd go and I'd pick a bunch of different things from the garden the day before that night. I would go ahead and I'd make either like a, a nice salsa or I made all these different things out of the garden. I did um, zucchini frittatas and with my, my daughter, Anna and her boyfriend, Turner helped me with those. And we went back and the kids, I brought plates and forks and they tasted all of this. And I said, Everything you're eating came from this garden. And they were so excited. They were like, we're eating what we grew. This is so neat. And so it was kind of an immediate lesson to them. Wow. You know, it doesn't just have to be the actual, you know, plain vegetable, particularly if I don't like it. I can add things to it and, and really bring out the flavor. So, you know, I love that part of it. And, um, you know, giving them some recipes on what they could do and how they could kind of uh, replicate it when they were home with their own families. But I was able to, I, I think I, I think you have, and I don't know if you can um, play any of these, but I sent you a couple of, um, I did a, I, I, I wanted to chronicle a little bit of this. So I interviewed a couple of kids who were at the garden and this is actually so I can keep the momentum going for this year coming up. Um, 
but just to talk to them about, you know, what does this garden mean to you? And, and what do you think of it? And the responses were awesome. They just, I just, I loved it. I just, I just took it on my cell phone. It, I, I did get a chance to look at that. And it, the kids were really cute. I mean, the, the, it was, and we'll try to, if we can't get them into the podcast, what I'll definitely do is put links to that. Um, in the show notes. And we'll also put links to everything that we're talking about. We'll have information um, about Tori as well. And Tori, before we wrap up, I just um, have a couple of questions for you. And I want to just do, I just quickly want to also talk about the addiction crisis project that you're working on, because I know that's in the sort of the burgeoning stages, but just to kind of let people know that it's on the horizon. Um, And just like one other thing you're doing to be a daughter of change because you're just like such a sludge okay. girl. <laughs> so just qu- quickly on the on the um, community garden, on the kids' garden, people could be listening to this and thinking, this is something really cool. I'd love to do this in my community. And, you know, I know you're, you have a lot of energy, T, but you probably can't get to every com- community in the world or the United States. So <laughs> are there places something we could put in the show notes for people to learn a little bit more about how they could potentially start a project like this in their neck of the woods? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, any anytime anybody wants to do something like this, I mean, I started exploring a, a number of different places like, you know, the um, ag sites that are all, all throughout the different states around uh, the United States um, and around the world. I mean, there are different ag sites and and extension programs um, that people can learn from. But I would be very happy to share my email address because, you know, my heart feels as though, look, I'd love, I would love to create a um, blueprint that others can easily kind of transfer into their own communities. And I'd be happy to go to other communities. I mean, right now, just looking looking kind of in a small way, I'd love to get this into every town in the state of Maine. The needs are high. And why don't we have these everywhere? Um, that's one thing. And then I'd love to spread it. I'd love to spread it around the country. I mean, there are programs that already exist. I mean, this is not I'm not I'm not inventing anything. It was just my seeing a need and and just doing it. And I guess I want to just encourage people, if not you then who? I mean I really I I know people say that all the time, but why not me? Why couldn't I just do that? And I did. And it all fell into place. It's like that river. Everything nobody said no to me. Not one person said no. Every single person said yes. And I, I that's how I knew I was on the right path where that goes. Now, I want to talk to you about the project that I'm working on right now um, because it it ties in um, in in a way. And right now in this country and around the world, we are battling a huge, huge fight that we're not winning, and it's the battle of addiction. And so I'm working on a 10-part, 30 minutes each each, uh, segment or each show. on addiction, and our working title right now is Brain Wreck. And I'm working again with Reg um, and a um, bunch of different school districts have signed on, uh, which is really great. And a uh, police chief in Scarborough is behind it as well. He, he started um, uh, Operation Hope. Um, and I just want to say one thing that he that he pointed out, which I think is just amazing. He said, you know, the state of Maine, we're losing 
eight people a week right now. If there were a serial killer in Maine killing eight people a week, there'd be resources coming from everywhere to stop that. If there was an intersection or a stretch of highway that was killing eight people a week, there'd be all kinds of resources being thrown at it. So we are hoping that you know this, this 10 block, 30 minutes piece um, show. We're, we're hoping, we've got a meeting this afternoon with a TV station, a second TV station in this area. Um, maybe it'll be syndicated, but I'm hoping that it, it gets into the, the schools and, it, and the messages get to the kids. This is not the kids' problem. I mean, this, this, is, this is a huge kids' problem, but it's, you know, so many kids, they don't know that they have this in their brain. They don't know that. But they go down the path and they try, you know, drinking or they, and then it, and then it morphs into heroin before you know it. And their brains are altered. And unfortunately, for so many people, too many people, you know, once is not once. And, and it, it's, it takes a long time to, to break that and, and to break a lot of cycles, you know, familial cycles of addiction. So, we have this and we have to take care of this. So I do, I feel like, you know, there are problems where we live. In the past two weeks, people have been arrested having, you know, they had a bunch of heroin on them. They had guns and they had money. Well, yeah, the problem's everywhere. It's everywhere. And so that, that's what this, that's just in a nutshell, this is what it's about. And it's, and it's looking at, um, you know, solutions as well. Yeah. And I, I want to give a shout out to Reg because Reg Groff is totally an honorary daughter of change. And I would like to say <laughs> that once this is up and running, it would be really cool to do a show with the two of you to talk about this in more detail because I um, this is really close to my heart. You know, I've had uh, we've dealt with this in my family and it's it's really it's important that we do something about it. So there will be more to come on that, listeners, for sure. So I'm inviting you back, T, and we'll bring Reg on, too, and we'll talk about that in more detail once that. it's up and running. Yeah, I would love that. And I'll just say this. I mean, I think if you were to ask, I would say most families have this in their families. And I, there, there needs we need to lift any kind of shame that's around it, and we really need to take it on, and we need to be real about this. And this is as real as any physical this is as real as cancer. This is as real as anything that we're fighting right now. And we really have to take it seriously. And we have to take away, you know, kind of that, that um, mantle of shame. And um, so anyway, I, I just pass that along. But we've got a lot of work to do, Miss Marie. And, uh, you know, we've got energy. And my whole thing is, look, we're, we're put on this earth for five minutes. So let's, let's use up all five. I love that. That's that's actually that is actually a great segue into my next question for you, T. I call Tori T, as you can tell now. So, Tori, I should actually say your name. Tori, what is the best piece of advice you have for the daughters of change out there listening today? <sighs> Never underestimate what one person can do. Never underestimate how important your thoughts of today are. Make your thoughts positive. If you can't, if you can't do these things, not everybody has the physical um, prowess. I mean, we're all kind of we're all kind of passing through this life, and, and you lose a little bit of the of the um, physical. But 
you know, I, I just think stay positive if you can. Um, and I think that when people um, struggle, the best thing you can do is to get outside of yourself. And if you can, you know, volunteer or, or pick up the phone. That can be an act of, of volunteerism. Pick up the phone and call somebody who lives alone. COVID is not for sissies. And it, it's a very, very difficult time for so many people. Um, so I guess that's the thing. At Christmas, I encourage people to, to write Christmas cards, you know, and just sign their names and bring them to um, an assisted living facility because a lot of those people get nothing. You know, it, little things, little things go a long way. And we have, we have a lot more power to impact people's lives than we think. We think it has to be really huge things. It's not. It's little things. Bake some cookies for the people who work at the post office. They will love you. They're struggling. So, you know, I guess it, there are a lot, of, a lot of different things people can be doing. But if, if they can't get outside and they're fearful of that, um, pick up the phone or just start, you know, really manifesting positive thoughts in your head. We need, we need kind of that massive um, human collective consciousness of positivity. We need it right now more than ever. Yeah, we're not powerless, even in the face of things that seem overwhelming. And I, and I think that, you know, what you just said is important. It doesn't have to be the big things. It's the little things we do that add up, as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. So, now, Tori, before I let you go, because you do so much for other people, how can the people listening um, connect and support you or some of the initiatives you're working on? And I, I will just uh, say before I let you speak that we will make sure that all of this is in the show notes as well as Tori's email if you have questions about how to start uh, the Children's Garden or to work with her to get one started in your community. Uh, but again, Tori, how can the people listening connect and support you and the initiatives you're working on? Well, I think that what you just said is probably the best way, my email. Um, I, I don't have a Lark Garden website up, um, but I am working on materials that I can share, and I'm so happy to share. I mean, we are all in this together, and so I don't feel like I own anything. I'm, I'm happy to, um, I'm happy to share anything and everything that I know. Um, and again, I think that comes back to what you were talking about before: is that you and I are connectors, and so to do that, you have to remove your ego in a bit. You know, you don't. We don't own these things; we share them all. We share this. We share our information, and you know that that's that's how we kind of move ahead. So, email me. I think that's the best way, and then we can have a conversation. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. Um, for now, <laughs> see, and um, but that's probably you know you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm I'm pretty easy to find. Um, my stories are everywhere, so just you can Google me and um, you can find me. But you know, if anybody wants to talk to me, I'm happy to chat with them. I'm an open book. Thank you. Thank you, Tori. That's a, that's actually really nice um, that you're offering that up. And I'll make sure that there are links to social media, to your LinkedIn, the email address, um, YouTube for the Great Reboot, everything. So we'll make sure that's all up in the show notes. And Tori, it has been such a pleasure to do this. Uh, you and I just keep, uh, you know, we're we're in we're in interconnected somehow in this life. We keep coming back, and uh, and I'm sure there's more to come. Before we close, any final thoughts for the listeners? 
Well, I just think that uh, Daughters of Change is just a magnificent movement. And I just, when you, when you were talking about we've been in, in and out of each other's lives, it's like stardust, right? It, it really is. And, you know, in the end, um, I've been doing a lot of research lately on near-death experiences because I've, I've been talking to people who have had them. And, and what they describe is an amazing thing. And, and the way they say it is that's more real than this. So where we go next is more real than where we are right now. So if you're in a tough situation, um, and I've been in many, I was married to an alcoholic for a long time and et cetera, et cetera. And I will say that my key to success there was laughter and I, not to poke fun at things, but really you've got to keep your sense of humor because especially if this is not real, as real gets, you got to have a good sense of humor and that'll get you through just about anything. It's kind of like the laughing Buddha, right? I'm Catholic, but I believe in the laughing Buddha. I mean, I think it's really important to have an open mind and to kind of, you know, collect different beliefs as you go and and, and thoughts and be open-minded to other people and to hear, you know, we're in a time right now that people are so stuck in their lanes and they're so stuck on being right and everybody else being wrong. Let's stop that. Let's kind of jump into a bag of everything and just let's get shaken up and just say, okay. You're different. I'm different. And so you you were raised a little differently than I, but I think we can come to common ground if we just turn off that noise. And so there you go. I think I think I gave you about 10 different ideas right there, but um, we are all in this together. So why the heck not make it a little bit more of a fun journey um, than, than crying about it? Thank you so much, Tori. I just really appreciate your time today. And Daughters of Change, you hear that? Jump into that big bag of everything. <laughs> I love it, Marie. And I love you. And I thank you for having me on. Just all the best to you and to all your listeners. 